Welcome to the PIO Podcast, a forum for all things public information related for police, fire, EMS, and local government. A place to grow and develop your public information skills. I am your host, Robert Tornavetti. I have over 11 years of experience as a PIO and 27 years as a law enforcement officer. I am proud to announce that we have partnered with the PIO Toolkit to expand and grow the podcast. Thank you to Christine Townsend and Law Publications for this amazing opportunity. To contact the show, email robert at piotoolkit.com. We need your feedback on how we're doing. Please rate us on whatever platform you listen or send us a review via email. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episodes. Thank you for listening. Sit back and enjoy the next episode. Good afternoon. Welcome to the PIO podcast. We have Lisa Gruss. She's from Strategia Consulting. How are you doing, Lisa? You know what, Robert? Any better and I'd be illegal. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lisa, you you have had a lot of experience, and I'm not going to go through your background, but you have over 30 years of consulting on communications, and you you were a reporter. You have worked with Tom Serafin and Associates for many years. We met many years ago in Chicago, and thank God I did because you were you're always a resource. I always love reading stuff that you that you write and your crisis uh, cast that you and Tom do. I really enjoy listening to that. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on because you have so much experience. Oh, thank you. You're kind. You know what? We come from the same work in to do what we can to make it a better place. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's say I'm going to throw this question at you. You handled a lot of crisis, high profile crisis events. And one of the things that is interesting, is there a specific factor that results in them bringing you in that you see with most of these organizations? Is there one consistent factor? The consistent factor is when we're called, when I'm called in for a crisis, it's usually too late. That's a consistent factor. I I've had two, three, maybe four clients in my life who've actually called and said, Hey, we want a proactive plan. Hey, we want to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Hey, we want to do this. And when I get those phone calls, I want to crawl through the phone and hug them because they are actually planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Because it's not in this day and age, it's not a matter of if a crisis is going to happen. It's when a crisis is going to happen. And when we're talking about law enforcement agencies, when we're talking about corporations, we're talking about anything no one is prepared. Hardly anyone is prepared for a crisis, but you can be. And that's the problem is you can be planned and you can mitigate the damages way before it even happens. Okay. So most of like in my case, public sector organizations, they have in-house communication professionals. How could those in-house communications professionals prepare to handle that communications crisis? They have to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. Their strengths are likely that they have ties to the community. They have good communication skills with residents, constituents, uh, third-party groups, clergy, Boy Scouts, and the media. 
even though social media pains me to say this as a 21 year journalist, social media is more important than traditional media, but the media still plays a, a key role, especially in smaller communities. They have to recognize their strengths and weaknesses and the strengths are the connectivities they have. The weaknesses are, they are usually not trained for crisis response. And crisis response is the number one thing is you have to acknowledge something has happened. You don't need to give huge details on what happened, but you need to acknowledge that something has happened. You are looking into it too, and you're, you're going to get back to them with more information as soon as you can. So you're talking more about like a holding statement, correct? Absolutely. I mean, just acknowledge that something has happened and they'll get back to them. Robert, I got to tell you about 15 years ago, I was on a really long bike ride because I was doing crazy things called century rides on a road bike. And all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up with our friend, John Nebel, mm-hmm. and Tom Kasha, who is a former SAC of the Secret Service in Chicago. Everyone was texting me, oh, my God, there's a shooting in River Forest, where I lived at the time. Are you okay? Is, do you know anything about it? I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking This is like 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. River Forest is like Mayberry, for those of your listeners who remember, you know, Gomer Pyle and... and uh, but I was like, what are you guys talking about? So I started looking on social media, listening to the radio. Do you know it was four? Hang on a second. It was four or five hours. Oh, I'm here. I'm Keep going. Okay. It was four or five hours after the shooting happened that the River Forest Police Department acknowledged that there was a shooting in the in the community. By that time, and River Forest is outside of Chicago by nine miles. By that time, CBS radio in Chicago had every hour on the half hour talked about the shooting in River Forest. And the line was, there's been no comment from River Forest Police Department. And when you hear no comment, that is essentially an admission of guilt. Like you're hiding something or you did something wrong. Four and a half hours, they did not even acknowledge that there was a shooting in River Forest. And it ended up being a really sad domestic shooting, but it's a town that nothing happens, yet the police department wouldn't even acknowledge that there even was a shooting and they were looking into it. They could have quashed the fears of residents. They're on top of it, they're investigating, they know about it, but they didn't even do that. And it was, I, I never worked with the village and I, and I use this as an example. I love the village and they have a fantastic police chief now who was not the chief at the time. But the point of the matter is, just acknowledge something's happened so that you appear knowledgeable and you appear like you're working on it. All right. So Lisa, you had alluded earlier that one of the big issues is they, that organizations don't bring you in until it's too late. When do they consider bringing you in? In the, in the training phase when they're trying to train people or when they're, you know, uh, they're developing their whole community-wide plan? When do they decide to bring us in or I'm sorry, rephrase your question. Yes. When do they decide to bring you in? When is it best to, you know, look at bringing in a community crisis communications professional like you? So having a good crisis communication plan is like having an insurance policy. You pay a little bit upfront for a long-term investment. If you create a crisis plan, and have a, a plan in place and, and a, you know, a telephone tree and what is your holding statement and who's going to handle what and who do you communicate with? And you get someone embedded in the trenches, 
ahead of anything that happens, when something happens, A, the response is a heck of a lot faster, and B, you protect your brand. And when I say your brand, it's not only a department's brand, it's also the chief's brand or the superintendent, whoever is head of the department's brand, it's the PIO's brand, because now you are in a skilled response phase where you know you, you need a holding statement, you know you have who to call, you know who is going to take which role in a crisis. That's 90% of planning to save your brand, to protect your brand, most importantly, to get the information out to the people that need it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, adding into that, you would talk in one of your crisis podcasts that transparency is, is so important to an organization's reputation in the community. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. When you work for a municipality, when you work for a law enforcement agency, you are paid by the taxpayers. The taxpayers deserve the information first. Absolutely first. And quite frankly, I'm not a fan of press releases. I There's no reason to A, write a press release, B, send it to the media, C, hope the media reads it, D, hope the media reports on it, E, hopes the media reports on it correctly, F, hopes someone reads it. Why should you go through all those steps when in this day and age, when you have email, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, TikTok, I'm sure we're not going to do TikToks, you can write a letter directly to the residents and let them hear it from you first and use that letter as a press release. So for example, uh, a building collapses and the street's gonna be closed for weeks as they excavate and they shore up the building and they do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know what? The fire chief or the police chief should say, here's what happened, dear residents of uh, Mayberry. Here's what happened today at oh, 17 hours, a building collapsed and thank God everything was okay. But you know what? The streets are going to be closed for a while. In the closure, please try and avoid these areas as we do this. We'll, we'll update this as we can. Thank you so much, Chief Gomer Pyle. And that goes directly to the residents. It does two things. It's, it builds the connection between the residents and the department. And you are, you, are, you are imparting that you care about them first. And then you can send that same letter to the media say here's a letter we just issued to our residents okay i get it all right so let me ask you this in a crisis why is defending losing oh good god that's a lawyer when you're defending you're losing when you're explaining you're winning and that's the most important thing you need to explain you need to define the facts because at the end of the day the facts will always win the facts will always win okay so hey, but, but, but let me let me comment on that go ahead it's human nature to defend it is absolutely human nature to defend you you hear something about your mother your brother your sister your best friend what are you going to do you're going to put your dukes up and fight right right especially since we're italian we're going to fight really hard there's going to be some few choice words and then then we'll deal with it later that's that's the defense mechanism in every human but it's really important that people explain. 
and you reposition the discussion so that you are getting your points across on what happened and why and what is going to change or what is not going to change and what and how they've learned from this. Okay. All right. So I'm going to throw this one at you. This is from, from a couple of weeks ago, the mass shooting in Involvity, Texas. It's a communications nightmare. If you could discuss what your thoughts are and what went wrong there from a communication standpoint. We don't have enough time, Robert. <laughs> I know. I know it's bad. You know, this is a scenario where information is knowledge. Knowledge is power. There is no reason why you hide information from anyone on this. None whatsoever. Because in this day and age, who doesn't have the 5.0 app on their phone to listen to the police scanners across the country and what's going on? Right. Right. Who doesn't have social media that can go to Twitter and hashtag mass shooting, hashtag Texas, hashtag anything, mental illness and up comes stories. Yep. You go to go, you go. I mean, everyone has a different favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, LinkedIn, YouTube, but they come up and then that becomes the story. And the good thing about the internet is anyone can be an expert. The bad thing about the internet, anyone can become an expert. And if the, and if the message is coming from the authority first, that's, then you are managing the message. Okay. Yeah, I guess this, this whole Uvalde thing would be just a dissertation and unbelievable. They should, they should, they should, they should make a law enforcement class and a communications class out of this entire situation yeah which is sad yeah it's terribly sad all right so you and tom serafin have a podcast called the crisis cast what value would the audience that that we have here at at the pio podcast find out of i've heard it so i know what's there but i'd like to hear from you you know tom and i tom and i started the crisis cast uh right at the start of the pandemic because quite frankly we are crisis communicators and we really felt and believed that at this time of an unknown that we were going into, that we needed to help those learn from others on how to approach things in a crisis, best practices. So we really started the crisis cast that, so that others could learn from those who've been through a crisis. And it's, it's morphed into true, have you, how have you dealt with a crisis to how have you become a leader? And again, going back to, it's not a matter of if a crisis is going to happen, it's when, even in, in the workplace, and I'm not talking about a shooting or a tragic event. I'm talking about the wrong email gets sent. I'm talking about uh, someone wrongly is, is let go from a job. That, those are all crises. And so we've, over the last, we've actually done 88 episodes now. We've had state senators and congressmen, uh, U.S. congressmen and U.S. representatives, and we've had CEOs, and we've had sports writers, and we've had, um, you name it, we've, we've had it, thought leaders in different sectors because everyone has had experience going through a crisis. And so when we're talking to our guests, we want our listeners to hear what they've gone through so that someone can maybe learn something new that they didn't know before they listened to the podcast. Awesome. 
And it is, by the way, it is phenomenal. You guys are doing a great job. And I've probably gone through maybe 20 of them right now and I'm still going through them, but I mean, you only got 26 more to go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick rapid fire questions here. These are more lighthearted ones. Your favorite musician, actor, style. My favorite musician was my father, Lenny Dress, who was a incredibly accomplished jazz studio and theater musician in Chicago. Oh, and I did not know that. One of the reasons he died at a young age of 61, 32 years ago. But one of the reasons I keep my maiden name Dress is because to this day, I still run into people and they say, Are you Lenny Dress's daughter? Yeah, uh, I, I was blessed to have him and grow up with his instruments and his career and his musical genius. Outstanding. Actually, here's a, here's a fun fact. You remember the movie Superfly? Yes. So my father is the flute and the oboe on all of the songs. On, so he did the entire Curtis Mayfield soundtrack. Actually, he did all of Curtis Mayfield's albums. Oh, wow. I did not know. That. That's amazing. That that is so when you when you mystery. when you listen to Freddy's Dead, do 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 do. Oh yeah, that's my dad playing the flute. Awesome, awesome. All right, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate, please. Really? Uh, you know, I did hear this somewhere that you have a guilty pleasure of Heath Bar Blizzard from Dairy Queen. Ooh, I do, I do, and I just you know I can just look at it now and it applies the calories, so I try not to do that anymore. Uh, what would you consider a must-read book for you? Wow. Uh, you know what? A book written by my dear friend, Rich King, called My Maggie. Rich King is a retired legend sportscaster in the city of Chicago. And his wife, of I think it was over 30 years, they, were, they met in grammar school. And they married and they never had any kids, but she became legally blind and legally deaf and died of cancer. But she was a staple in the blind deaf community in Chicago. And after Maggie died, Rich wrote this beautiful, beautiful gift of a book that talks about love and sharing and disability. And it was really, uh, you know, when you think you have a bad day, you think about Maggie King and you just are like, wow. I, I think I'm, I'm going to be okay. That's kind of a very nice sentiment. I'll have to look that book up. Unbelievable. All right. If you could go back in time and talk to your 18 year old self, what advice would you tell yourself? Put down the fork in college. <laughs> we can all understand that very well. Yeah. I, I didn't gain the freshman 15. I gained the freshman 25. <laughs> What's uh, your favorite drink of choice? Eh, io sono italiana, vino, por favore, madonna mia. Ooh, <laughs> a good Chianti or? Uh, Chianti or Chardonnay or Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, vino con mia, mia casa, mia familia. Very good. All right, so final thoughts, Lisa. What's the biggest takeaway uh, our listeners can get from listening to you? Prepare, plan. Don't think it's not going to happen to you because it's going to. Plan to invest in a little bit of expenditure to prevent long-term damage. Plan for a crisis because it is going to happen. 
that's a good way to sum it up. How can people best reach out to you if they want to connect or maybe uh, get your your um, consulting services? Well, I'm quite Googleable, <laughs> but yes, you are. Uh, our, our our website is thecrisiscast.com with Tom Serafin and me. Uh, Tom can be reached at Serafin, S-E-R-A-F-I-N.com. I can be reached at Team Strategia, T-E-A-M-S-T-R-T-E-G-I-A.com. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. That's, I'm sorry, Lisa. Lisa Drews from Strategia Communications. Thank you for coming on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows reviews, please give us a review. We appreciate any review, good or bad. It helps us improve on each episode. Until next time, be safe.